Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing animal to human, the evolution of our consciousness. What we're actually going to be discussing is chapter 20 in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. Essentially what this chapter is doing is starting to kind of uncover some evidence to help you see the cycle of rebirth. So we're really going to be spending our class session talking about the cycle of rebirth. I didn't name the chapter this because this chapter deals with helping you to see how our animal existences in the past have evolved into our human consciousness so that you can understand more about the human consciousness and why it is that the human consciousness is in the condition that it is. As we study the cycle of rebirth, It's important to understand that what I'm going to be sharing with you is not something that needs to be feared or avoided because in some cases, sometimes if people are studying different traditions, if they call it a religion, even though I don't call this a religion, they may think that these type of things about the cycle of rebirth and things like this are kind of put in there out of fear. But understand that these teachings about the cycle of rebirth have no fear or guilt or shame as part of it. In fact, what I'm doing as part of my teaching and what Gautama Buddha did as part of his teaching is helping you to eliminate fear and guilt and shame and things like this. So even though we're going to be talking about different realms, we're going to be talking about potential of being reborn into some of these realms, which could be good or could be bad. This is not about scaring people or helping people to feel fearful that if they don't do certain things now in this life, bad things are going to happen to you. That's not what we're talking about here. The cycle of rebirth is absolutely truth. And I know this through personal experience. And I teach it because it's a helpful thing to understand as it relates to the natural laws of existence. It can also be quite a bit of a motivator. In fact, that's how I used it very early on in my growth into these teachings. I never believed in the cycle of rebirth. And as you know, that I never suggest that you believe anything either. You shouldn't believe anything that I say. If you haven't had experiences of past lives or observe your past lives, then what you can do is take today's talk as a way of understanding the cycle of rebirth. But I wouldn't ask you to believe any of this because belief isn't going to help you understand the wisdom in the cycle of rebirth and help you to liberate the mind. So it's important that you 
don't believe what I'm saying, that you understand it, that you can learn it, that you can ask questions. And then someday as you work through these practices and you evolve and the mind develops further and further, you may actually end up observing past lives and all of these things will start to really make sense for you. So it's important that you understand that one is there's no fear, guilt, or shame in Gautama Buddha's teachings. The whole goal is to eliminate those discontent feelings along with others. The other thing that it's important for you to understand is what I'm sharing with you is based on experiences that I've had throughout my entire life. And all these various experiences that I had, I never understood them and I never understood what it was about until the last few years when these experiences started happening in such a profound way, I actually started diving into Gautama Buddha's teachings and his teachings started to explain all of the experiences that are having to a T. It wasn't just kind of generally explaining what I was experiencing, it was explaining it to a T. So prior to all the experiences that I had, I had never studied Gautama Buddha's teachings on the cycle of rebirth. I had these experiences first, and then as I started diving into the teachings, that's when his teachings made complete sense to me because it was explaining everything that I was experiencing in terms of the cycle of rebirth in this life. So I would like to jump into today's topic and at the same time invite you to ask questions as we go throughout our talk because it's your questions that will help you get answers to the things that it is that you're looking for, okay? The cycle of rebirth is essentially the problem that Gautama Buddha eventually realized that exists for human beings, essentially for all beings, really. You know, we talk in this class, in this group learning program about craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. We talk about greed, hatred, delusion, which is essentially the same thing. Well, those are the poisons or the unwholesome roots or the three fires that exist in the mind that keep the human being in the unenlightened state. And it also keeps other beings in the unenlightened state as well, whether it's one of the lower realms or even in the upper realms. But it's this problem of the cycle of rebirth, which is the main problem. Because until we eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality, we're going to continue to stay in this cycle of rebirth until we figure it out. And it's here in the human realm that we're in a very unique situation that we experience discontentedness. We experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. This is what I call discontentedness, or you might hear people refer to this as suffering. So here in the human realm, we experience all three of these feelings, and we have the ability to cultivate our consciousness, develop our consciousness in order to move it closer and closer to this enlightened mind state. In these other various realms, they don't have the same uniquenesses that we have here in the human realm to be able to experience these three feelings and then ultimately cultivate our mind in order to reach this enlightened mind state. So for example, 
the animal realm. In the animal realm, essentially animals play, they fight, they have sex, they sleep, some of them kill, right? This is what animals do day in and day out. They actually don't have the ability to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha. They don't have the ability to meditate and develop the consciousness and train the mind. They still experience all three feelings that we experience, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. However, they don't have the same ability in terms of development of the consciousness or to train the mind. Even though we're in the human realm, our consciousness has come out of this animal existences. We've had countless animal births that you may or may not remember at this time. Oftentimes there's residual memories in the consciousness that start to be kind of uncovered as you start peeling away this craving, anger, and ignorance, this self and the ego, as you do, some people start to kind of observe previous lives, either in the human realm or animal realm or other realms. And as you do that, the mind can be a little bit shaky, right? In order for a human being who maybe hasn't understood the cycle of rebirth and hasn't studied it and doesn't have an understanding of it, if you start having memories of previous lives, it can be pretty dramatic and it can shake you up quite a bit. And this is essentially what happened to me as I was growing up. As I was growing up, I had no idea who the Buddha was. I didn't even know the name Buddha or Gautama Buddha because I grew up in America, in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And as I was going through my life, at different times, I was having these memories and flashbacks and various things were coming to the surface. And it created a very unstable mind for me. And most of this was happening for me when I was in college, uh, around the age of about 20 or 21. And as this was happening, what was understood in American society is that this person is having hallucinations or this person is having delusions, this person is mentally ill. And in college, I was actually taken to a mental hospital and given all types of medications as all these memories were coming to the mind and I was very, what they would call hallucinogenic. And I was given all this medication and told that I was bipolar, that I had manic depression, that I was having a panic disorder, and all of these various medical things I was being told is wrong with me. I was told that you know my brain was essentially defective, that it wasn't producing the chemicals and the things that I needed in order to kind of have rational thoughts. So as I was going in and out of these mental hospitals, I was given all kinds of medications and therapy and treatments. And what I've realized over 24 years of having various experiences, even being on medicine, I oftentimes would still have various thoughts come to the surface. What I realize is that I'm actually not mentally ill at all, 
that these were actually memories. These were residual memories that were coming from previous lives. And through 24 years of taking medications and being in a society that didn't understand the cycle of rebirth, I was never able to break through and actually realize what these thoughts and memories actually were. Essentially what the medicine was doing, it was actually suppressing the cultivation of the consciousness, the evolution of the consciousness. And it wasn't until I came here in Thailand and started living in 2015 that later by 2016 and 2017, even though I was still taking the medicine, I started having similar so-called irrational thoughts or hallucinations, things like this, and I went to a Thai hospital. And in the Thai hospital, I explained to them that I had bipolar, that I was on all these medications, and so forth and so on. And the nurses and the doctor essentially listened to me, and they said, well, what would you like to do? Would you like to do the same things that you've done in the past, or would you like to try something new? And I said, well, what I've been doing in the past hasn't been working, so why don't we try something new? And the doctor and the nurse turned around and they left the room. They just completely left the room. They just left me in the room. No medications, no treatment, no explanation of what was happening or anything. And the only thing that I knew how to do at that point that could be helpful for me is I started meditating in my hospital bed. And over the course of several months and essentially a year or two, I eliminated all the medications, just focused on meditation, just focused on learning Gautama Buddha's teachings. And what I realized is that I was having thoughts and memories of past lives. And when I started seeing all these past lives, I started digging into Gautama Buddha's teachings. And as I did, his teachings explained exactly what I was experiencing. And because I was now in Thailand, having these experiences and the doctors were aware of what those are, I assume, that's why when they said, would you like to do what you did in the past, which if I would have said yes, I'm sure would have involved them giving me medications. But when I said I would like to try something new because what was going on in the past, the last 24 years wasn't working, they just turned around and left the room because in their view, they didn't see anything medically wrong with me because to them in Thai culture, they've been around people that have experienced past lives and those coming to the surface. So it wasn't that there was a medical problem in place that required medication, which would have essentially suppressed the memories and the evolution of the consciousness. It was actually that I was having these memories of past lives. And there's countless other people that are in this same situation throughout multiple Western countries around the world. When people start having hallucinations or what we call delusions or even multiple personality disorder, right? We call this multiple personality disorder. From my experience, what this is, is this is the residual memories from past lives. And because the mind, this mind, had no understanding of the cycle of rebirth and how this all worked, when I was in America 
and I was having all of these thoughts and all of these memories coming to the surface, I felt crazy. I felt delusional. I felt like I was hallucinating. And everyone around me that didn't understand the cycle of rebirth either, their discipline was to give medications. And that's essentially what I experienced. And it wasn't until coming to this culture and here in Thailand that people were well aware of this and had experienced it before and essentially just walked out of the room and let me deal with it on my own. I only ended up staying in the hospital for maybe a day or two just to kind of, you know, kind of get my bearings. And then I left. And over the course of about a year, year and a half, was making tremendous progress. The mind was becoming more and more and more and more stable. Of course, there was much more memories coming to the surface. Many, 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 many animal existences that I saw and then two human existences as well. And then that's when I started to dive into the teachings of the Buddha. And I started to see where he was explaining exactly what was happening in terms of all these countless animal births and human existences as well. And it's made complete perfect sense. And through training the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation and all the other teachings that the Buddha offers, the mind became very stable, very peaceful, very calm, very serene, very content with joy, and gradually eliminated all the medications over the course of about two or three months. And it took another kind of three to six months for the mind to kind of detox from all that medication. But as it did, it was like a fog lifting from the mind and things became more and more clear. And that was the experiences that I had. And I imagine, depending on what you might remember about your current life, you may have had some various experiences as well, but didn't quite maybe know how they were related to what's going on around us. Whereas if we're having these memories of animals, existences, if we're having these memories of prior human existences, and the society or the culture that we're in doesn't have an understanding of the cycle of rebirth, then yeah, everybody in terms of what they're hearing, it sounds crazy, it sounds delusional, it sounds like a mental illness because they're just unfamiliar with it. So what I would like to do is kind of spin today's talk, helping you to understand that we've had all of these animal existences, help you understand what that looks like, and then help you understand how that's affecting you today in your human existence so that then you can kind of evolve past it. And as you are learning these teachings, as you're training the mind, if these memories start coming back to the surface about previous animal existences or even human existences or even other realms as well, then you can have a stable mind and realize that it's actually quite normal. It's very normal for someone who is learning these teachings and the mind is evolving. Essentially, in the human existence, in the unenlightened state, we don't typically remember much about our previous existences. It's kind of like standing on the street of a city and you can just see that one street and that's all you see. But if you were to move to kind of like the top of a mountain, you would be able to see that city. 
you would be able to see how all the cities connect to each other and you would see the roads interlinking them and that's because you're up at a higher vantage point on this mountain well as you learn these teachings and you're training the mind and you're stripping away the various attachments or cravings that you have it's like moving to the top of this mountaintop and you may start being able to see more of your past lives, even helping you to see this life and kind of some of the things you've been up to in this life, your memory will start to be more crisp and more profound and it's completely normal. So in this animal existences that we've had, we've had countless animal existences. Gautama Buddha talked about how we've had so many animal existences that the blood of all of those existences in those former existences equals more than all of the water in all of the seas. So if you take all the water across the earth and you add that up, the blood that we've had as part of our previous existences is more than that, right? He also used the mother's milk. He said the milk that we drank from our mother and all of our previous existences is more than all of the water and all of the seas. Essentially saying that we just had this countless, countless, countless births. And it makes complete sense if you think about the evolution of the planet, right? We call it the year 2020, but with all the modern evidence that we have, we know that this planet is at least 4.5 billion years old right? 4.5 billion years old. Now, the last 2,000 or 3,000 years is really a drop in the bucket compared to the whole length of the entire earth or the whole planet. So it's very understandable that we've had countless, 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 countless births where we're just constantly being reborn over and over and again you know, from an ant to a bee, to a lizard, to a snake, to a giraffe, to a dog, to a cat, to a chicken, you know, whatever it is, there's just these countless rebirths in this lower realm of the animals. And because of these countless rebirths that we've had, even once we make it into this human realm, we still have the consciousness of an animal. This is why we still have craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. Because if you think about an animal's life, they basically go around craving, right? They go around and they crave food, they crave sex, they crave uh, sleeping. You know, animals will sit around and sleep. Some animals will play, some animals will fight, and some animals will kill. And because of these qualities, because of these decisions of the animal realm or our animal existences, we're constantly being reborn in this animal realm. And it's like a prison. It's very hard to get out of this animal realm. So the fact that you're human now means that your experiences in this constant cycle of rebirth were helpful enough and eventually wholesome enough that you are able to make it into this human realm. And remember what we're talking about here is we're talking about natural laws of existence, right? An animal is 
unaware of the Buddha. An animal is unaware of the five precepts, the Four Noble Truths, all of these various teachings, the Eightfold Path and so forth. Animals are unaware of them. Animals are unaware of the natural law of gamma. But even though they're unaware of these natural laws, they still affect animals. So, for example, an animal who's like a lion, who's killing, right? Constantly killing in order to survive. Or a snake who's constantly killing in order to survive. We know that killing is harmful. It creates unwholesome results. And therefore, those types of animals are going to be constantly reborn to various existences in order to help them move further along in this cycle of rebirth, where animals such as like a elephant, elephants are very loving, very compassionate, very caring. They stay together as a troop. They take care of each other. They actually eat all vegetarian type food. And animals like elephants have very profound memories. They have very good concentration. And if you know anything about enlightenment, as a human being becomes more and more enlightened, they actually have deeper and deeper amounts of concentration and memorization. And in terms of the animal world, the elephant is essentially the closest to moving into the human realm because of the qualities of the consciousness of an elephant. They don't typically fight. They are very loving, caring, compassionate, like we talked about. They take care of each other. They're not killing in order to eat. They're eating all plant-based material. And this is why here in Thailand, they really respect elephants very highly because they are essentially as close to the human realm as possible, but still kind of trapped in the animal realm where other animals like snakes and lions and tigers and things like this, they're very deep into the darkness in terms of not practicing teachings that would essentially lead them to a better rebirth into the human realm. So to move from like a snake or a lion directly into the human realm is pretty much impossible. Those beings are going to have to keep being reborn. But when we're reborn, even say if we were an elephant and we were reborn into this human realm, we're still affected by this craving, anger, and ignorance. This outward searching for satisfaction, this longing, this strong eagerness that we talk about, this hatred or this anger, this ill will, this hostility, it comes from these animal existences that we've had and this ignorance or unknowing of true reality and really not even understanding the Dhamma or the teachings of the Buddha that would evolve the consciousness to being more human. So in the unenlightened state, we essentially function very much like animals. And that's one of the reasons why we have such an affection for animals in the human realm. When we're human, we have this, you know, undying affection for animals uh, as human beings. And it comes from our previous animal existences. We have this real affection for animals. And as we evolve through these teachings, learning and practicing these teachings, we become more and more and more human. And once we reach to that first stage of enlightenment, having eliminated the first three fetters, then that's when 
if we die at that point, we're actually reborn back into the human realm. Or if we get to the second stage of enlightenment and we die at that point, having eliminated the first three fetters and just kind of thinned number four and five, it's called a once returner where we've kind of returned back to the human realm one more time. This is because we've evolved our consciousness and we've become more and more human. Someone who's moving through these four stages of enlightenment, they're going to be more polite, more kind, more caring, more respectful. They're going to be more appreciative. They're not going to have this you know, fierce hostility that we have in the unenlightened state, essentially from our animal existences. You know, we even use language in the human language we say things like you're fighting like cats and dogs or we'll say you're acting like an animal right this is because we're essentially queuing into this whole cycle of rebirth and even though someone might not even understand the cycle of rebirth this type of thinking is kind of ingrained into our consciousness and that's where it comes from and what we do as part of this evolution from animal into human is we train the mind with the teachings of the Buddha to become more and more and more human. And once we attain enlightenment, we escape this whole cycle of rebirth because we've now eliminated all of these fetters. The 10 fetters is what they're called. One of the first fetters that we need to eliminate just in order to get to the first stage of enlightenment is what's called the personal existence view. And if you've been involved in any of the other talks that I've done, the personal existence view is the concept of a self that we hold in the mind, this permanent self, this self-identity, this self-image, this thinking that this body is me or this mind is mine and thinking that there's a real person here. There, there's a physical body and there's a consciousness, but that experience of what's actually happening, there is no self. It's just essentially an illusion or a concept of a self that we hold in the mind and we think it's permanent. And because of that self, we defend it. And when somebody says something that the self or the ego doesn't like, we start defending and we become very hostile and very aggressive, very much like an animal. Because in the animal existences, we can't let go of the self. If a deer or a snake let go of the self, they essentially wouldn't be able to survive. But because of this animal rebirth, all of these constant animal rebirths, when we're born into this human life, we still have this concept of a self that we hold on to, and that's where we become hostile towards other people. And it's not until we eliminate and eradicate this self that the mind can then be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. This self, not only does it get in the way in terms of we can be very hostile if somebody affects the ego or things like this, but this concept of a self, it really gets in the way if you start remembering past lives. Because if there's this concept of a self that I am David Roylance and I only have one life and I was born as a human now and I will die and that's the only life that I ever get. When these 
previous births start coming into the consciousness and I start recalling those because of this permanent self that the unenlightened mind holds on to, that's where the mind can become very unstable and we think that we're mentally ill. We think that we're hallucinating. We think that we have multiple personality disorder and all of these other things. So getting rid of the self as part of evolving to this higher consciousness and evolving away from the animal existences, that's one of the reasons why it's very important to get rid of the self is that if you happen to start having these memories of previous births, the self is just going to get in the way. So we need to eradicate the self, not only because we protect it, we become hostile, we talk aggressive to other people, but because it can get in the way if you start having recollection of these previous births. You don't need to have a recollection of your previous births in order to get to enlightenment. It's not required, but many people do actually experience that as their mind starts to evolve. And once you actually get to this last stage of enlightenment that we call arahant, where you're actually enlightened at that point, at that point you essentially have escaped the cycle of rebirth. So this problem of constantly being reborn, it only gets resolved when we eliminate these 10 fetters from the mind and we evolve to this higher consciousness, either during this life or at death. As you're moving through the various stages, the mind will become more and more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. The animal existences that we have, they condition the mind, just like everything else in this human life. When we're in all of those previous animal existences, it's conditioning the mind with this craving, this anger, this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, this self right? This ego. And that's why when we're born into this life, it's in the mind and it holds on and the mind doesn't want to let it go. It's only through dedicated training that we can learn about this and then we can strip it away and eliminate it from the mind. As long as we're in this cycle of rebirth, we're going to experience sickness, aging, and death right? These were the three of the four observations that Gautama Buddha made. So as long as we're in this cycle of rebirth, we're going to experience this sickness, aging, and death. And essentially what we come to is existing while we've had certain pleasurable experiences in life, it's kind of miserable to exist because of this sickness, aging, and death, the aches, the pains, the discontent feelings, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, the guilt, the boredom, the loneliness, all of these various discontent feelings that we experience in the unenlightened state, it's displeasing to the mind. It's somewhat miserable. So where you can use the cycle of rebirth, if you haven't had experience of observing your past lives, is you can use it as motivation to get out of this constant cycle of rebirth so that you're no longer experiencing this sickness, aging, and death. Because as long as you're in the cycle of rebirth, you're going to experience sickness, aging, and death. So by looking at the craving, the anger, and the ignorance, and the self, and the ego, eradicating those things 
you can then move to a higher consciousness and eliminate these animal instincts that we have to become more and more human, get to this enlightened mental state, and then completely eliminate all of this aging, sickness, and death so that you no longer need to exist in any form whatsoever. But it's only through dedicated learning and training the mind that you'll be able to actually accomplish that. If we don't do that, if we don't accomplish enlightenment or one of the stages of enlightenment, we're going to be reborn into one of the lower realms. So for someone who has never heard of these teachings or even if someone's working on this path but they never get to even the first stage of enlightenment, they are going to be reborn back into the lower realms. The five realms that exist are the realm of hell, afflicted spirits, and animal realm. These are the three lower realms. And they all have various criteria associated with them. In the hell realm, there's so much pain and agony. These beings don't even have time to understand or practice the teachings at all in order to cultivate the consciousness because there's so much pain and agony. In the realm of afflicted spirits, these are kind of like demons and ghosts and kind of entities that are still holding on. They have deep craving. This is why it can be haunting a certain house or hanging around loved ones that they were around when they were alive. They might have died as a human, but they're still kind of holding on. They're still craving. They're still attached. They still have this longing with a strong eagerness to hold on to things in this world. So they're reborn into this lower realm of afflicted spirits. And in this realm, it's not possible for them to get to enlightenment. They need to essentially let go of the craving that's holding them into this afflicted spirits realm so that they can essentially then be reborn into the animal realm. And I've described the animal realm, you know, in terms of what those beings are doing. They're playing, they're fighting, they're killing, they're having sex, they're sleeping, they're doing all of these things on a daily basis. And animals have very short lifespans because of all the unwholesome decisions that they're making. They're just constantly being reborn over and over and over and over again. But eventually, we may get into this human realm. And if we don't actually evolve the consciousness, then we're going to end up going back down into one of these lower realms. If we evolve the consciousness enough to get to the third stage of enlightenment, then we get reborn into a heavenly realm. And the heavenly realm isn't actually desirable at all. Some people have an interest to be reborn there, but those beings aren't done because in the heavenly realm, they have so much pleasure. There's no painful feelings. There's no feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So they don't experience anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, all of these things. They don't experience boredom, loneliness, shyness, things like this. They only experience pleasant feelings. But because they experience such pleasant feelings in the heavenly realm, they oftentimes lack the motivation to actually learn and practice the teachings to evolve the consciousness. So oftentimes beings in the heavenly realm 
are then reborn back into one of the other realms, whether it's human or even lower, because those heavenly beings lack the motivation and they become very complacent and they don't actually evolve the consciousness to escape this cycle of rebirth. This is essentially the five realms. This is what they experience. And it's only in this human realm that we experience all three feelings and we have the ability to cultivate the consciousness. In the heavenly realm, they have the ability to cultivate the consciousness and attain enlightenment. So the human realm in the heavenly realm, you can attain enlightenment from there. But in the heavenly realm, they don't experience the other two feelings, which can be motivating factors to help somebody attain enlightenment, which is the painful feelings and the feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So some beings do attain enlightenment from the heavenly realm, but not always. And then the realm right below us, the animal realm, they experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, but they lack the ability to cultivate the consciousness. So it's only in this human realm that we have the ability that we have with these three feelings and the ability to cultivate our consciousness. So I would like you to understand this evolution of animal to human existence because it helps you to see that sometimes you may act like an animal. When somebody is just being kind and polite, we kind of, right? We kind of might bite somebody in terms of like with our language or our speech or our actions. We might become hostile. And this is essentially our animal instincts kicking in. Or somebody might say something to us that's displeasing to the mind. And same thing, right? We kind of come at it with some hostility. So if you can start to recognize that in your consciousness and you recognize that you want to eliminate that, then you can work on eliminating this craving, anger, and ignorance through observing when you're acting more like an animal so that you can then become more human and cultivate that consciousness and evolve it to becoming more and more human. So I would like to pause here and see what questions you guys might have based on what we've been talking about so far. Hi, David. We have a question from Rosalva. How does one distinguish between a past life memory and a thought or wakeful dream? I can only speak for my own experience. When I observed all the animal existences that I had, it was like a movie strip of animals, just one after another after another, kind of like flashing through the mind. And at different times in my life, even as early as like age six or eight, I was having aches and pains in my body that weren't related to anything from being a, an eight-year-old kid. And I didn't understand it at that time. But now having observed past lives, I understand that those aches and pains that I was experiencing as an eight-year-old child was from previous births. And then as I was growing up and started having memories of human existences, they were memories that they weren't in dreams. They were during normal daily life when I was awake and conscious. So a dream I would think would be a dream, you know, when you're dreaming versus having a recall of a memory of something very vivid that happened in the past. And I had, memories in the mind, but I also had certain physical 
pains, like I mentioned, based on these previous human existences that I had. But they were very vivid and they were very clear and they weren't dreams, they were in daily life. They weren't actually while I was sleeping. Karen on Facebook is asking, are the heaven and hell realm on earth? Can you be born in a hell or heaven realm as a human? Yeah, we call these the different realms, but they're actually right here, right now, right? Like I'm sitting here physically as a human being, but I could have a dog or a cat with me too, and that's in the same physical space. There can be an afflicted spirit you know, a demon, a ghost or whatever in the same physical space. So we call these realms and that kind of makes it appear that maybe they're somewhere else. But in reality, they're all right here in the same physical space. Okay, so whether it's the hell realm, afflicted spirits, animal, human or heavenly realm, they're all right here in the same physical space. You can't be reborn as a human in one of those other realms because a human is a human it's going to be with a physical human body and a human consciousness. If you're reborn into the animal realm, there's going to be an animal physical body, whether it's a scorpion or a lizard or a muskrat or a beaver or whatever it is, there's gonna be a physical animal body. And then the same thing if there's an afflicted spirit, it's going to be an apparition, right? It's going to be what we call formless. It's not going to have any form. There's only two formed realms, which are human and animal. We have physical form. The other realms are what we call the formless realms, which are hell, afflicted spirits, and the heavenly realm. These are formless realms, right? So these other realms of hell, afflicted spirit, and heavenly realm, you can't be reborn as a human into one of those realms because they are essentially formless. There is no physical form. That's a follow-up for me and David. What are the salient differences between, say, a hell spirit and a afflicted spirit? Well, this is where Gautama Buddha's teachings and what I experienced are somewhat a little bit different. This is the only place where my thoughts on this actually differ from Gautama Buddha's. Gautama Buddha discussed his existences in the hell realm and what he experienced there. And that's what I usually share because you're interested in learning Gautama Buddha's teachings because he was the Buddha and we need to learn his teachings. But from my experience, the, the hell realm is essentially right here on earth right along with us, right? Like we are essentially creating hell on earth through the murders and rapes and terrorism and poverty and famine and all the different things that we experience in this world. We're essentially creating hell on earth. So from my perspective, I would say that this is essentially what we're creating here is kind of a hell realm that it doesn't actually really exist somewhere else. We're actually creating it. And it's through learning and practicing these teachings that we evolve out of this hellish existences that we're creating for us on this earth. But Gautama Buddha, he described being in those hell realms and people have different takes on it. I don't really wanna go into it because it's not something that I have a lot of background in. But I teach the five realms because that's what Gautama Buddha taught. 
But in terms of what I see, I see that this hellish realm is actually being created by us on a daily basis through the way that we treat each other, through the, the things that we're doing to the planet, through the things that we're doing to each other. It's becoming very hellish here on Earth. You know, it's quite bad. I have very little information on this hell realm because I, I haven't experienced it for myself in terms of the way Gautama Buddha saw it during his awakening. Okay, I'll ask a, another question from uh, David on Facebook. He asks, what forms do hell and afflicted spirits look like? Afflicted spirits are formless, so they're not going to look like any kind of form. They're going to be formless, right? So this is where there's ghosts, there's apparitions, there's entities, you know, dark entities. They take many different forms. Some people call this afflicted spirits. Some people call it hungry ghosts. Some people call it demons or ghosts. They take many different forms. There's not just one particular type, just like human beings. There's many different types of human beings. So this afflicted spirits realm and beings that are in that afflicted spirit realm, they're going to have many different appearances, but they're not going to be human and they're not going to be animal. They're going to be formless. So, you know, that's why they can walk through doors. That's why they can kind of appear and, and go away almost instantaneously. And these beings are essentially holding on with this craving. And it's the craving that's causing the rebirth. It's the, this is the cause of our discontent mind is craving, but that's also the fuel that's causing the rebirth. So if you get to the end of this life and you still have craving, i.e. a mental longing with a strong eagerness, then you will be reborn. And if there's extensive amounts of craving, then those beings are typically reborn into the lower realm of afflicted spirits. And those beings are just holding on so tightly to this existence here. And some of these afflicted spirits even think that they're still human. They still act and kind of appear and try to kind of mimic still being human because they haven't come to grips with the fact that they are no longer human. And this is the one of the reasons why they still stick around and try to kind of partake in life as we are here today. Okay, we've a question from Deborah on Facebook. Would an animal be able to make contact with a human who was part of a previous life? I mean, everything's possible, right? Like, essentially, there's no being that exists today that hasn't previously been your mother, father, brother, sister, or some other relative. So this is one of the reasons why we show compassion and loving kindness to all beings, not just human, but animal too. Because that ant used to be your mother, that snake used to be your brother, that elephant used to be your grandmother, or what have you. And same with human beings, like all of us human beings, uh, when we were lizards, James and I were brothers. And, you know, when we were hippopotamus, you know, Bill and I were sisters or what have you, you know, we could just go with unlimited number of scenarios. And this is one of the reasons why we treat all beings with loving kindness, all beings with compassion. So in terms of what beings are around you now and where they were in previous births, yeah, anything's possible. The interesting thing about this cycle of rebirth is 
while I think it's important to understand so you know what the actual truth is, is that we all do experience multiple rebirths, in a large way, I kind of consider it irrelevant, truthfully, because whatever we've experienced in our previous births, it doesn't matter because it's all in the past and it doesn't matter because we're now human and we have the opportunity to attain enlightenment. So what we were, whether we were a chicken or a snake or a dog or whatever, it doesn't really matter. If we don't attain enlightenment in this life and we are going to be reborn, then okay, we're going to be reborn and it's going to happen. We can take active steps in this human existence to ensure that it doesn't happen and that we do escape the cycle of rebirth through attaining enlightenment. But really all that matters is this present moment and actually learning and practicing the teachings to evolve the consciousness. So this whole cycle of rebirth, while it's something that we teach, it's something to understand, it's absolutely true that we've all had these previous rebirths and that we may potentially be reborn again if we don't attain enlightenment. What's happening on the, in the past, what's happening in the future, it really actually doesn't even matter. So can spirits stick around? Sure. Can dogs and cats and other animals regain contact with us? Sure. But none of that actually helps us to eliminate this problem that we keep being reborn over and over and over again. So what I think that the cycle of rebirth does is it helps you to not feel so crazy if you start experiencing previous lives and you start having those memories, you'll understand what they are and that it's completely normal and you don't feel like you have to go into a psych ward and start taking medications. And it can also be motivation that, hey, you know, I don't want to go back to the animal realm. I'm not interested in being an afflicted spirit. I'm not interested in these other realms. I would like to learn and practice now so that I can attain enlightenment in this life and no longer be reborn. So that's kind of the way that I've always looked at the cycle of rebirth is more of motivation and encouragement to make sure that I stay on the path and get to enlightenment. It's an important point, David, because the cycle of rebirth is a very interesting topic and draws interest from all walks of life, people who aren't Buddhists, spiritual people from all over. But we have to use this understanding in the right way. Because wherever there's craving to be you know, associated with someone you used to know or a pet you used to have, that's still craving, right? Yeah. And so it, we need not get hung up on uh, you know, whether we've known each other before or any of this kind of thing, because that's just potentially getting stuck in it continually. Yeah, and one of the things that I commented on in our Facebook group uh, just in the last day or two is that if you do happen to observe your past lives, that information is for you. It can, one, confirm for you that the cycle of rebirth is in fact true and 100% real. And it can help you understand if you see some of your previous births, like I observed two humans prior to this birth, it helped me to understand some of the cravings I was having in this life that they were actually coming from the previous lives. But in terms of how observing past lives actually help you, it really doesn't. It really doesn't do anything other than confirm for you that the cycle of rebirth exists and then maybe give you some insight into your existing cravings. So if you are aware or you become aware of your previous births, I don't agree with going out and telling anybody about that because that information has no 
benefit to anybody else. And the other thing that I'd like to say about this recalling of past lives is some traditions of Buddhist teachings, teachers will tell their students what they were in past lives. It doesn't happen in the Theravada tradition. We don't do that. But there's other traditions where certain leaders and teachers will essentially tell you, you used to be this when you were in a previous life, or we used to be husband and wife when we were in a previous life. And they will actually tell you what your previous lives are. And I don't agree with this either, because that's kind of conditioning someone's mind to think that they were a certain entity or certain being in their past lives. If you're going to have memories of past lives, you will have that on your own. You will experience it on your own. You will observe it on your own. And that information is for you. And it doesn't need to necessarily be shared with anyone else. But for me as a teacher to try to tell a student what they were in a previous life, this can actually, I think, be dangerous to a student's mind. So I don't think it's appropriate for us to either share what we've experienced in our previous lives unless somebody asks and you would like to share a little bit of that. And it's definitely not appropriate for us to try to tell other people what we think they used to be in previous lives. This can be very dangerous for the mind. If you're meant to recall past lives, it will happen. You will observe it, you will understand it, and you will go forward from there. And if you need help to understand it from a teacher, then you can reach out to me and I will help you. But I will not insert things into your mind to try to convince you that you were a particular being in the past or you weren't. I have a question from Jaroslav on YouTube. He asks, I came across the term spirit animal. Is this related to Buddha's teaching somehow, sort of like a protective animal spirit? No, this is something that people nowadays I've seen that will talk about these. This isn't related to the Buddhist teachings at all. Okay, we have a question from Mercia on Zoom. Mercia asks, how do animals eventually evolve into the human realm? Yeah, so animals, they're making decisions on a daily basis as well, right? There are certain dogs, for example, that are very loving, very kind, very friendly, very compassionate. And then there's dogs that are very aggressive and hostile and angry, right? And, and these are essentially decisions of the dog. And part of it might be based on the conditions that they're in. Like there's some dogs that are fighting dogs and they're used for dog fights and they're very vicious and very ferocious and they're trained to do so. And then there's very domesticated dogs that are very friendly, very kind, very loving and very compassionate. These are essentially animals that are affected by the same natural laws of existence that we are. And even though a dog has no understanding of the natural laws of existence at all, the decisions that they're making on a daily basis are leaning them either towards future animal existences or maybe even further down into the lower realms, or the decisions that they're making are leading them upwards to uh, higher level animals and then ultimately into the human realm. So animals make decisions just like humans all the time. We just have a much greater ability 
to cultivate our consciousness and make decisions much more than an animal does. So animals are still affected by the same teachings that we are learning, these natural laws that the Buddha taught about the natural law of gamma, the five precepts of killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, all of these you know, five precepts in the Eightfold Path, all of the beings that are existing in the cycle of rebirth are still being affected by these same natural laws. It's only in the human realm and in the heavenly realm that we can actually learn these teachings and then make better and better decisions based on the wisdom of these teachings to evolve our consciousness to get to enlightenment, where the lower beings, they're still affected by the same natural laws, but they have less ability to cultivate the consciousness to actually move up. And this is why the lower realms are essentially like a prison. That was the words that Gautama Buddha used, is like being reborn into the lower realms. It's like a prison. And that's why we've all had these countless rebirths in the animal realm, because that's what it took just to get us into the human realm. So we've had these countless, 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 countless rebirths in the animal realm, but we were affected by those same natural laws. And eventually we were able to make better and better decisions to land us into this human realm. And now that we're here, this is the perfect opportunity for us to learn and practice to further evolve the consciousness and escape this whole cycle of rebirth. So in the case of humans then, David, for a human to be reborn as a human, must they necessarily reach the first stage of enlightenment and eliminate the first three fetters? Yes, they have to. The only way to be reborn back into the human realm is that you're in either the first or second stage of enlightenment by the time of your death. And this is where if you look at the fetters and you understand natural death, you can see how beings who don't even know the Buddhist teachings or never even heard of the word Buddha are actually stripping away these fetters, just part of the natural death process, right? We know that that first fetter, personal existence view, right? This is associated with the self-identity, the self-image, you know, these kind of things. And as we age, one of the first things we stop caring about is our identity, right? We don't start caring about our hair and our clothes. And, you know, as we age and if you've been around older people at all, you know, they, they don't care much about their image. And then if you look at some of the other fetters like uh, ill will or sensual desire, which includes sexual contact, we know that as we age, our sexual drive drops off and we have less and less interest in sexual contact. So somebody who isn't even aware of the Buddhist teachings whatsoever, still being affected by these same natural laws of existence, you can see how somebody at death can attain enlightenment and not be reborn, potentially without ever learning about the Buddhist teachings because these fetters start to strip away, right? Some of the higher fetters are like conceit, right? Or like arrogance, right? Well, as you start getting closer and closer to death, especially if you're on a deathbed and you have, say, cancer or something like this, and you're in a hospital, you know, you're not going to be sitting there in the hospital for three months with arrogance and ego. You know, as your 
going through chemotherapy and the hairs falling off and your skin's becoming a different consistency, your ego starts to drop off, you start being less concerned about the clothing that you're wearing, you know, you've got nurses coming in and out, maybe sponge bathing you. You can see how these fetters start to naturally strip away that you can actually attain enlightenment at death and then no longer be reborn. Jesus Christ would have said you die and go to heaven, right? Well, if you've observed this with natural life and you understand these 10 fetters, you can actually eliminate all of these things from the mind. A fetter is what we also call a taint or pollution of the mind. If we remove this pollution of the mind well ahead of death, then what we experience is we experience this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind for the rest of our life. And that way we get to enjoy the existence in the human realm for however much more time we have rather than being frustrated and angry, I mean, having hostility all the way up until death and then dying and okay, now you've got enlightenment. Okay, great, at least you got out of the cycle of rebirth. But by learning and practicing these teachings and stripping away these taints or these fetters early, then you can enjoy 10, 20, 30, 50 years of life with this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. Essentially what you're doing is you're you're essentially killing the mind now. And this is why the Buddha called people who attain enlightenment, he called them the deathless, right? Like essentially, if you kill the mind now, when the body dies, there is no death. And Jesus Christ might have said everlasting life, right? Or, or eternal life, right? The Buddha used the word deathless. So, these teachers of Jesus Christ and the Buddha were actually talking about a lot of the same things, but the Buddha just explained it so clearly, right? And even Jesus Christ, right? He said, I'm going to be reborn, right? He said, I'm going to be reborn. It's just that the teachings that we got now 2,000 years later, we didn't get the teachings that said everybody's going to be reborn, right? But that's essentially what the truth is, is that everybody's going to be reborn if you don't attain enlightenment in this life you will be reborn but as you age you're going to naturally strip away these fetters on your own but by making conscious choices to do it you can actually get to a peaceful mind before death and then enjoy it thanks david you might have also answered my next question then which was about is it the case then that everybody who has some kind of human past life memory must necessarily have attained one of the stages of enlightenment and if so then why is it that we still have so much you know, wrong view for example or and why is this the case with people who you know, aren't necessarily practicing or or aren't practicing buddha's teachings maybe and i suppose it follows that if the mind naturally moves towards enlightenment at natural death then if it doesn't make it to full enlightenment, it may stand a better chance of making it to the third stage, the second stage, the first stage. So it may well be that people attain the first or second stage, perhaps, at death. Right, exactly. At death, they can still have attained the first or second stage and then be reborn back into the human realm. And when you're reborn back into the human realm, you're still going to have craving, anger, and ignorance. It's not like you pick up right where you left off, right? It's not like 
okay, I died at the second stage of enlightenment. So when I'm reborn, I'm starting right back at the second stage of enlightenment. It's not like a video game where you start right where you finished. You actually are essentially starting over where you still have craving, anger, and ignorance, but you have less of it. And it's easier for you to eradicate these three poisons in a subsequent human birth. So for example, like my two previous human births and now this third birth, the fact that I'm so close to the Buddhist teachings, that I was able to learn and practice, that I was able to improve the condition of the mind and get to where I am now, it essentially was probably a lot easier for me because of those previous births. But that's not to say that I didn't have a really struggle and tons of challenges in this life because of craving anger and ignorance like that really plagued me growing up. And it wasn't until getting closer and closer to the Buddhist teachings that I then was able to more readily start to eliminate these craving anger and ignorance. Okay, so so what then is forgotten in effect? as part of the, the rebirth. This word that we're using, reborn, it actually, I don't think is 100% accurate because there's nothing that's really being reborn, right? In the Buddhist world, there's some people that talk about reincarnation and then there's people that talk about rebirth. The Buddha taught rebirth. He didn't teach reincarnation, but a lot of people talk about reincarnation. Reincarnation is essentially based on a permanent soul that's moving from existence to existence. And it's essentially the same person, so to speak, with just a new form, right? A new being, right? But it's still got the same soul. This isn't truth. Reincarnation isn't actually what's happening. Reincarnation is a misunderstanding of what the Buddha was actually teaching. What the Buddha was teaching was essentially the cycle of new existence. So every time there is a new birth, it's a new form and a new consciousness. So in the previous two human existences that I experienced, the very first human existence, I have very, very, very little memory about that human existence. Most of that memory comes by way of the Buddhist teachings. Like I was already aware of the Buddhist teachings before I was aware of the Buddhist teachings. I was actually in America. I was teaching people Buddhism without having ever actually studied it because it was already there. But I just didn't know about it until now that I actually have seen previous existences. But I have very little memory of the life of that person. But that person isn't me. They were a completely different physical body, a completely different consciousness. And then the second human being as well was a different physical body and a different consciousness. But in that life, I have a lot more memory of that life, a lot more recall. But it's still not like the same memory that I have in this life. In this life, I have a tremendous amount of memory of everything that's going on in this life, you know, as it's happening day by day. So these memories from these previous lives have been moved forward in the consciousness and they still are there, 
but it's not like direct picture perfect recall of every single thing that ever happened in those existences because they're not me they weren't the same being they were a new being each time there's nothing that's really truly being reborn what it is is you can think of like all of these three human existences that i had you can think of them as three cardboard boxes right they were three unique different cardboard boxes and after that first birth and i died some of those memories move forward into the second cardboard box. So it's like picking up items out of that first cardboard box and putting them into the second cardboard box. Then I had that life. And then some of those memories from that life, which also included the memories of the life before, got picked up and put into this new cardboard box that we call David Roylance, which is sitting here now. But it's just a cardboard box. It's just a, a mind or consciousness in a physical body. So this mind still has residual memories of these previous existences, but there's nothing that's actually being reborn, so to speak. It's a completely new existence entirely. There's nothing actually being reborn. We call it the cycle of rebirth. So therefore the assumption is something is being reborn, but in reality, it's the cycle of new existence. That's really what is actually happening. Right, so this explains why, say we eliminate some of the fetters, we have to eliminate them again if there's birth. Right, because, because it's a new existence. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. born into, say, a human body, and a human body comes with certain fetters. There's no getting around it. So the, the mind. Had, the mind yeah, comes the mind. with certain fetters. Fine. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay. So then... It, it, Okay, and, so and, and before you go further, answer. before you go further, Max, sure. these cardboard boxes, if there's craving at the time of death, then there's going to be rebirth. There's going to be another existence. Craving is the fuel that causes the new existence. So it's the right. craving that is those things that are moved to the next cardboard box, right, that I was talking about. Yes, it's the memories moving from cardboard box to cardboard box, but it's also the craving. So this is where people ask, well, how am I affected from my karma from my previous lives? Well, there's no bank account where your karma is being held and it gets kind of attached to you as you go through this cycle of rebirth. But what it is, is it's the craving from one birth to the next that's being moved from one birth to the next. And it's that craving that creates the karma in this life. So when David Roylance was born into this life, all the gamma from the previous lives had been experienced, but the craving that existed in those previous lives were moved into this consciousness. And that craving is what's creating the gamma on a daily basis in this life. But it's based on the craving from previous lives. And this is where if you see your previous lives, it can help you observe the craving in this life so that you understand where it's coming from and you, you can extinguish it. It doesn't really matter where it's coming from, truthfully. You still have to extinguish it either way. But it did give me some insight into why I was doing the things that I was doing in this life based on observing the previous lives. Okay, so I think that, that also explains why 
if someone's eliminated the first five fetters, including sexual desire and, and ill will, then they will go to a heavenly realm. Yes. Because there's nothing making them come back as a human, right? Right. They're still craving there, so they're still going to be reborn, right? Because they haven't eliminated the upper five fetters. So if there's craving, there's going to be rebirth. So even at the third stage of enlightenment where all five of the lower fetters are eliminated, they're still going to be rebirthed into the heavenly realm because they haven't eliminated the five upper fetters. They haven't eliminated those five upper fetters. And in the heavenly realm, the goal is to eliminate those five higher fetters, but oftentimes there's too complacent and they don't do that. So then they end up falling back down to another existence. Right. Okay. So another follow up then. So if someone was to attain the third stage of enlightenment and go to a heavenly realm, as you said earlier, that's maybe not so desirable exactly because there's less motivation to move forward from there. Mm-hmm. But is it still likely or even inevitable that that, that being, or that new existence will within just a handful of lives make it to full enlightenment? Yeah, so if we attain the first stage of enlightenment in any human life, if we attain the first stage of enlightenment, then there's no more than seven rebirths, right? right. If we attain the second stage of enlightenment, there's only one more human birth, okay? So, for example, I was born, or not I, but you guys know what I mean. There, there was an existence of the first human that I experienced and then right after that was another human birth. So that first human birth, they attained the first stage of enlightenment. And then there was the second human birth, which then during that second human birth, that human attained the second stage of enlightenment, the once returner. And then now I came back into this life and now I attained what I, you guys maybe feel that I might have attained or not. So I've attained that in this birth and now I know that there's not going to be any more rebirths from this point forward. So in that first stage of enlightenment, you can see that there's a maximum of seven rebirths. In my situation, there was two. So it's a maximum of seven right it could be 1 it could be 2 it could be 3 it could be 4 it could be it could be 7 but in my situation it was just two more that it required to go forward so then if someone was to attain the first stage and end up uh, being reborn and then maybe attain the third stage and going to a heavenly realm does that mean they then have still that got that guarantee to become fully enlightened even if they then become a human again they've still got enough wisdom that they will still inevitably attain for enlightenment or might they actually regress from there pretty much if you're going to be reborn back into the human realm you're going to progress and unless you just keep going to the first stage of enlightenment right because you might just because there's no more than seven you might just keep hitting that first stage first stage first stage three or four times then you get to the second stage then on the fifth rebirth boom you get full enlightenment right so there's all those different scenarios there's so many different scenarios but all this comes back to right now the present moment right like it's interesting to talk about all these things 
But the only reason why it even makes any sense to talk about it is that you know the number one goal is to eliminate those 10 fetters, is go for enlightenment this life. Because what some people do, especially here in Thailand, what I hear is people say, you know what, I'm just going to try to get to like the first stage of enlightenment. And as long as I get there, then I'm fine. That's all I, I really kind of am interested to do. They'll just kind of work to get to that point. And I think that that's kind of like a defeating approach. That's like a, like setting yourself up to fail. It's like, why set the goal with the bar so low? Set the bar high that you're going for otter hunt. Eliminate all 10 of these fetters. And you know what? If you fall short and you only get to the first or second or third stage of enlightenment, then so be it. But don't set your goal at the first stage of enlightenment, which is what I hear a lot of Thai people do. They'll set their stage at the first stage of enlightenment and then they may or may not actually attain it. You know, they, they may not. So go for eliminating all 10 fetters. Go for the otter hunt. Got it. Thank you, David. Okay, we have three more questions for now. So first one from Biplob. Can animals do wholesome or unwholesome karma? Yes, we're all generating karma all the time. And that's why I mentioned that like a lion or a snake doing so much killing, they're generating all kinds of unwholesome karma. And that's why someone's not going to be reborn from pretty much a lion or a snake right into the human realm. It's not possible. So there's karma being created all the time. It's just like the natural law of gravity. This natural law of gravity was affecting us whether we knew about it or not. When we were one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, we didn't know about the natural law of gravity when we were four, five, six years old, but it was affecting us. And it's the same thing. Like a dog doesn't know anything about the natural law of gravity, but a dog still being affected by the natural law of gravity. This natural law of gamma, animals are being affected by it. Humans are being affected by it, whether we realize it or not. By learning these teachings and awakening the mind to this natural law of gamma, you can then make better and better decisions in your life to get closer and closer to enlightenment. If you didn't have that insight and that wisdom, you wouldn't be able to do that. And that's why like animals, they just can't cultivate their consciousness. They don't have the ability to do it, but they're still being affected by all their decisions and they're generating gamma just like every other being. We have a question from Manal. Is it predetermined who your life partner is? And then would this be destined for both partners to move up consciously or their mutual purpose being to bring one another to a higher consciousness during this life together? Should we believe in this? There's nothing that's predetermined in this world. There's nothing at all that's predetermined. Everything is based on independent decisions in the present moment. So if you've met a partner that you feel an affection for, you know, some people say, oh, we used to know each other in a previous life or what have you. You did because you were family. They're every single being, whether it's an ant or a snake or a dog, we've all been family at some other previous time. But that doesn't make this life any easier or any better just because you happen to be together in a previous life. You still have craving, anger and ignorance, this self and this ego that you have to get rid of. And if you guys work together to improve your consciousness and evolve higher and higher, then that's great. But anything that's happened in the past in terms of the cycle of rebirth, it's all in the past. And that's why I say in many respects, 
the cycle of rebirth is almost irrelevant. I mean, it, it's important. You need to know about it because it's truth. This is truly what's happening is that we're constantly being reborn and we will be reborn if we don't get to enlightenment. But what's happened in the past, it's all pretty much irrelevant. And what may or may not happen in the future is irrelevant. We just have to keep the mind focused on learning and practicing now in the present moment. Okay, we have a related question from Leslie. She says, I have been introduced to people that I've never met before. But when I meet them, I will often say, I know you from somewhere. You're very familiar to me. Does that mean anything? Yeah, we can have these kind of experiences. There's evidence all around us of the cycle of rebirth that we tend to avoid or we tend to don't look at very closely. You know, there's animals like dogs that can get on a bus, a city bus. They can go by themselves, get on a city bus, travel 10 or 15 stops and get off at a dog park go play at the dog park all day long and then get back on the bus and come home and meet their owner at five o'clock when their owner gets home from work. Now, a dog, even knowing what time it is, being able to get on a bus, knowing what stop to get off on and knowing when to return and all of these things, that's not a normal thing for a dog. But if you understand the cycle of rebirth that this dog has probably been a human in the past, it makes complete sense why this happens. Likewise, I'm not sure if you guys know the story of the four-year-old in Australia who had vivid memories of the life of Princess Diana. And at age four, he was able to explain meetings that she was in and clothes that she was wearing and clothes that other people were wearing. And this was like meetings of like three or four people that only those people knew. There's no way this four-year-old boy would know it. But he was able to recall these memories from the life of Princess Diana. So there's evidence like this all over, even like people who don't identify with a particular gender, right? If I'm born into a male body, but the mind identifies more with feminine qualities, for someone who understands the cycle of rebirth, this makes complete sense. It's completely normal that this kind of thing happens. Since we've been countless other animals and potentially humans in previous lives, in each one of those lives, we were different genders. You know, we had different qualities, different genders. So the fact that a human is born into a male body, but their mind identifies more with feminine qualities, that's completely normal because the consciousness has probably experienced other births or the opposite of that is if somebody has a female body and the mind identifies more with masculine qualities it makes complete sense because there could be residual memories from previous births where their gender was male and it just happened to land into a female body in this particular life so when you see these things where people aren't identifying with the gender of the sexual organs that they currently have in the current body and the mind identifies with something else, that's evidence right there of the cycle of rebirth or this dog that I talked about. That's the evidence of cycle of rebirth right there or the memories of this Australian child that's four years old that remembered these meetings with Princess Diana from you know, 15, 20 years ago that she was involved in or however long ago it was, and he could remember exact specific pieces of clothing that people were wearing 
during those meetings. That's not possible unless the cycle of rebirth is in fact truth. Roxanne asks, does this explain deja vu? Yeah, that's another one. That's another perfect example of potential memories from previous lives that you're in a certain experience and deja vu, you're like, hold on, I've been here, I've done this before. And it can be from previous lives that you had those experiences. That's another exact thing where the consciousness starts to evolve and you start having memories from previous lives. We have a comment from Messia. Carnivorous animals have to kill to survive. They don't have a choice as that is their nature. Exactly. And that's why being an animal in a lot of respects is like this prison that we talked about, where once you get reborn into the animal realm, it's often like a prison because even though they're subjected to the same natural laws, some of them they can't survive without killing. So that's why it becomes almost like a prison where you're trapped. So the good news of that is that we really need to appreciate this human birth that we have and put forth our very best effort in order to attain enlightenment in this life. And the fact that you're now close to these Buddhist teachings and that you're now learning these Buddhist teachings, you may have had previous human lives prior to this one. This may not be your first human life. And you may or may not ever get insight into whether that's true or not. Again, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you learn and practice now. But if you don't attain enlightenment in this life, then you will be reborn into one of the lower realms. In fact, Gautama Buddha said, anybody who dies with wrong view will be reborn into the animal realm or into hell. Wrong view would be blaming other people for your problems, not accepting responsibility for your mind. So the Four Noble Truths is what establishes right view. So if you understand the Four Noble Truths and you practice the Four Noble Truths, that's ensuring that you have right view. And then from there, it's a matter of learning the rest of the Eightfold Path, eliminating these fetters and so forth so that you can move your consciousness further and further away from this animal existences that you've had so many of and potentially if you've had other human existences to now hopefully get to a point where you can eliminate this whole cycle of rebirth which means you eliminate sickness aging and death which means you need to eliminate craving anger and ignorance the self the ego by eliminating all of these things, the mind becomes very peaceful. And that's where I think some of the real peacefulness comes in in attaining enlightenment is it's pretty joyful to know that, you know, once you've attained enlightenment, you know, like, okay, this is my last birth. Like, I'm never going to be reborn again. You'll know that having attained enlightenment. And that's a very nice feeling to know that, okay, you know, 40 more years or 50 more years and, you know, I'm out of here. I'm done. Peace out. Right. (laughs) Because, you know, we've had these millions and millions and millions of years of rebirths. The next 40 or 50, that's like a drop in the bucket compared to all the millions of rebirths, all the misery that we've experienced in our previous lives. So once you attain enlightenment in this life, that's one of the reasons why the mind's so peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, because, you know, okay, I'm done where typically in some teachings and certain traditions, 
you don't find out until you die what's going on. And if you didn't get it all, everything understood correctly, you might get a bad news when you die. One of the great things about the Buddhist teachings is when you get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, when you get to enlightenment and you've eliminated all anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, and you see, wow, the Buddhist teachings led exactly where he said they led. Even if you've never seen your previous lives before, you know the mind no longer has discontent feelings. You know that you're enlightened, even though I don't suggest that you ever convince yourself of that. But you also know at that time that you're never going to be reborn again, which is quite a peaceful feeling, quite a joyous feeling. So that's where I feel like some of the peace, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy comes from is just knowing that I'll never be reborn again. And that's something that you can experience now as you progress with these teachings. You can experience the condition of the mind is getting better and better and better and better through learning and practicing these teachings. And when one is reborn, David, it probably depends on what state the mind's in, but is it instantaneous or is there a time period? Does it have to wait for the right conditions to appear? Yeah, it has to wait for the right conditions. So the very first human birth that I experienced was about 2,500 years ago. And then the birth after that was 500 years after that, which was basically 2,000 years ago. And then this birth was, you know, I was born in 1974. So between the first and second birth, there was about a 500-year gap. And then between the second and third, there was almost 2,000-year gap. So I don't know what happens between that time, but there wasn't any births during that time. It's not an instantaneous rebirth. Got it. Okay. We have a question from Amina. She asks, are there any attributes from the animal realm that we should maintain in the human form? For example, some species like the example of elephants are loving and nonviolent. Yeah, any of those type of qualities, right? Like the Buddha's awakening us through his teachings of what qualities that we should cultivate. And loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, those Brahma Viharas, those are the things that we need to cultivate. Eliminating this craving, anger, and ignorance, the self, the ego, creating a life practice of this eightfold path, right view all the way through to right concentration. The Buddha is giving us exactly what we need. We don't necessarily have to look to our animal births in order to determine what we should do because the Buddha's teachings are giving it to us very clear, very concise, exactly what needs to be done in order to get to enlightenment. So as long as we're learning and practicing those, that's all we need as a reference or as a guide to reach to enlightenment. We have a question from Bill. When you write that nothing from past lives and nothing in the past from this life matters, it's in the past and does not affect your ability to attain Nibbana in this life. Can you clarify? Are you saying this only as it pertains to past lives or are you saying that nothing at all from the past matters? As someone that does a lot of self-reflection, I learn from trial and error and recognize progress from the past as well as when I made a mistake. I reflect on what I can do differently the next time. Yeah, that's really good, healthy way of evolving the consciousness is to look at our past decisions, where those decisions led us to, 
and how we can improve upon them and make our life better based on improved decision making. So that's a very good, healthy aspect of cultivating the mind. When I say nothing matters, I'll give you some examples. Like when I was 17, 18 years old, I worked on a farm and I killed goats and sheep and I killed quite a few of them. And even though I killed during this life, that's not going to preclude me from attaining enlightenment in this life. Or if you've done things in your previous lives that were unwholesome, it's not going to preclude you from attaining enlightenment in this life. And in fact, in Gautama Buddha's teachings, there's a story of a man who killed about a thousand human beings that ultimately became a monk with Gautama Buddha during his lifetime. And it's said that that individual attained enlightenment during his lifetime, during Gautama Buddha's lifetime. And he had killed a thousand human beings. So when I say that there's nothing from our past that really matters, what I mean is we can leave all of the things that we've done in the past in the past. We don't have to feel guilty. We don't have to feel shameful. And we can still attain enlightenment in this life. Because sometimes what we're taught in various traditions is that we have to kind of have almost this perfect life in order to get a good destination at the end of this life. And what I'm saying is that's not true. All that matters is the condition of the mind at the time of death. What is the condition of the mind at that particular moment? You're not being judged at the time of death for everything that you've done in this life to then determine if something beneficial is going to happen after death. It's all based on the moment that you die, what fetters are in the mind. If you've eliminated all the fetters prior to death, then you know that you're enlightened because you've eliminated all of the discontent feelings. But if you have naturally progressed towards death and those fetters are being stripped away kind of almost without your awareness, all that matters is what is the condition of the mind at the time of death. So the fact that you spit on somebody or you stole from somebody when you were five years old or you, uh, like in my example, I killed animals when I was young, that has no determination on whether you can attain enlightenment now or at death. So it's all about right now, the present moment. So that's what I mean when I say nothing in the past matters. But Bill's approach of using the past as a way to learn and improve, that's a great way to evolve the consciousness. Okay, David, one for me. Can one be a Buddhist without believing in rebirth? Absolutely. I don't suggest anybody believe in anything, as I've said throughout this program at different times. Don't ever believe in anything. Learn and observe the truth for yourself. If you want to know the truth of the cycle of rebirth, you can get out on the internet and search and see evidence of this type of things that I mentioned to you, like the little boy in Australia or the dog or deja vu or some of these other things. If you want to know with 100% certainty that it's truth, do your own research and look for yourself. But if you went through this life and you focused on the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Natural Law of Gamma, the Brahma Viharas, all the other teachings that I've been sharing in this program, and you improve the condition of the mind, but you just kind of never observed your past lives 
or knew that the cycle of rebirth was 100% truth, you can still learn and practice these teachings and get to a really high attainment of enlightenment. And one of the really wise teachings that I think the Buddha shared that really helps us with this whole cycle of rebirth thing is he talked about when a student comes to him to learn, they're not going to know all the answers before they start learning and practicing the teachings. Sometimes what happens when we enter into a new tradition or we're learning, we want to know all the answers before we actually decide to start practicing the teachings. And what the Buddha said is, surely you will die before all of those three poisons are removed if you want to get all the answers before you start practicing. Because the way that these teachings work is you kind of learn a little bit, like the Four Noble Truths, you kind of learn a little bit, and you kind of look at those, you kind of reflect on them, you put them into practice, you kind of see how they're true, and you kind of take a couple steps forward. And then you kind of learn the Eightfold Path and you put that into practice and you get better and better at that. And you take a few steps forward. You learn about this natural law of gamma, the five precepts and so forth. You take a couple steps forward. All during these steps, you don't have to, you know, be all in with the cycle of rebirth. You can just leave this in the background and someday decide to approach it if you would like to. But as you're progressing on this path and the mind starts to awaken, more and more of the answers will start to come to you. And you may get to a point where you do observe past lives and you may not. But this whole understanding of the cycle of rebirth shouldn't inhibit you or preclude you from learning the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts and all the other good teachings that you're going to need to walk this path. You shouldn't allow the cycle of rebirth to preclude you or inhibit you from walking forward on this path because it's for some people it's very very foreign and very very different and because i'm asking you not to believe in anything it might just be something you want to set to the side and focus on all the other teachings because those are going to be more beneficial to you this whole cycle of rebirth thing like i was saying it it's somewhat irrelevant it's important to know so you know the truth, but in terms of training your mind today to get to enlightenment, it's somewhat irrelevant. So as a teacher, you guys seeking guidance from me, I would encourage you to focus on those good, wholesome teachings that are going to train the mind and improve the condition of the mind. And if you'd like to, just leave this one to the side. Great. Thanks a lot, David. It appears we have no more questions at this time. Okay, so I'll go ahead and just in class by once again thanking you guys for joining. Appreciate you guys coming in for the online session. Hope that you learned a lot. And there's a lot to learn on this cycle of rebirth. We're just kind of barely touching the surface with the things that we talked about today. But again, it's in terms of where are you going to get the most benefit? If we spend a lot of time on the cycle of rebirth, then you're not spending time training the mind and getting rid of these 10 fetters. So you're more likely to be reborn. So that's why the first part of this program, the real bulk of the program, the real bulk of the book focuses on the good wholesome teachings that you need to actually train the mind and eliminate these 10 fetters so that you can eliminate the cycle of rebirth. But because I know the cycle of rebirth is 100% truth, 
I needed to at least include something in this book to help you understand that there is indeed the cycle of rebirth. And this is why I, I really put it towards the end of the book, chapter 20, because it was important for students to learn all the other teachings first before we actually get to this. So if this is something that you someday decide you would like to pursue more, you're welcome to ask questions about it in the Facebook group. You're welcome to schedule a private session with me to talk about it privately. You're welcome to private message me or any of those things to explore further. But I would really encourage you to focus your time on all the other teachings that are actually going to lead to your awakening, which is the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, and all the other teachings. That's where you're going to get the most benefit. Next class is on Wednesday at 9 o'clock where we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. And we may end up talking about some other stuff at that time. And then next Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we're going to be discussing chapter 21, which is do no harm, talking about the future of our planet and how this craving, anger, and ignorance, this concept of a self and the ego, not only is it affecting the human mind and the decisions that we make, but it's also affected the health of our planet as well. So that's something that we'll talk about next Sunday. So thank you all for joining. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.